We serve a really powerful, living, loving God who is active in his church today. And I get to see that through my classes. I'm taking some classes at seminary, also on preaching and evangelism. So I hear these incredible pastors, these speakers from all over the world, getting to share the message of how God is changing the world, changing people's lives, healing people, and how they bring all that inspiration, those, those awesome encounters with God, into their lives, into their ministries, and they preach these wonderful sermons out of that inspiration. And so part of me feels a little silly today coming to you, knowing that the inspiration for my sermon uh, came from a shower and a shampoo bottle. It seems a little pale in comparison um, but God really does meet us where we're at, and he speaks through us in many ways. And so I want to share a story with you that really caught my attention, bothered me way too much, but reaching for the shampoo bottle, it's a silly little thing, on the shelf, there's another bottle situated perfectly in front of it, and I saw that the first four letters of the word shampoo on my uh, Suave Essentials Mountain Mist shampoo bottle, first four letters were covered up. The last three were there, and you can kind of do the math there. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that in a microphone, but it just caught my attention. Like, why have I never thought about how weird that is? We have the word sham and the other one, and, and we put it together, and we, we think that's going to make me want to buy it or put it in my hair. Like, there's nothing about that that is enticing, and it's weird, and I've never thought about it, even though it's been in my life every single day. And so this bothered me way too much. Maybe I'm just weird that way, but it bothered me, and I started thinking about, well, what else in my life is just part of my life that I've never thought about? What else is weird, and what else should I ask questions about? Uh, and this led a thought train to church, and I think I do this a lot with church and what we do on Sunday morning. We come here oftentimes at the same time every week, and we kind of sit in the same seats every week, and we do some things that to us feel normal, uh, but to other people, or if we get a new perspective, maybe we'll see that there's something different about them or something weird about them. And so we come and we sing some awesome songs and we dip bread and grape juice and we give away our money and we hear somebody talk for a while on a book that's thousands of years old about three invisible deities that are actually the same deity but they're three different deities and we call it the Trinity. All really weird stuff. But to us, it has a habit of becoming hollow religious ritual. And when it becomes that, why bother? Why would I do this? Why would I invite somebody else into something that is just kind of a routine, just another thing on the schedule? And so when we start asking questions of these routines, of these everyday things in our life, then we get to imbue them with a meaning that comes with understanding. So we're supposed to ask questions. We're supposed to come and pick things apart. Why am I doing this? Why am I here today? That's the question that I want to invite you to think on as we go through the service. Why are you here this morning? For me, sometimes I feel like I just come to church because it's the thing to do. It's like, I should come. Sometimes I don't come at all, but like, why are you here this morning? What's the purpose behind it? What changes as a result of your presence and participation here this morning? And so we're talking about the journey of Jesus from before creation to his time here on earth. We know his baby story really well, and we know his adult story really well, and then after his time here on earth. But we don't talk about his teenage years, his young adult years very much, and that's for a good reason. We have only about 11 verses in the Bible to tell us anything about it. And so we're going to read those 11 verses today. Whatever device or book you might have that has Luke chapter 2 in it, go there. We're going to read verses 41 through 52 after I uh, open us in a quick word of prayer. God, we thank you for this day and the opportunity we have to be together. 
to be here and to ask questions, Lord, to worship you and to understand more about you and who you have us be. Lord, I pray that you will remind us who we are and that you will remind us whose we are today. In your heavenly name I pray, amen. So this is during Jesus' childhood, and this is a quick uh, 11 verses during a year of Passover, and so we're going to read through that together. Feel free to follow along, and then we'll talk about it. Verse 41 starts with, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up from the festival according to the custom, and after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. He said to them, Why were you looking for me? Do you not know that it is necessary for me to be in the things of my father? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. And then he went down to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all of these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And this is Jesus at 12 years old. And he is experiencing and showing us what many of us experience at that age, and that is identity formation. There's this period in our life where we ask questions like, who am I? What am I supposed to do with my life? Where am I going from here? They don't stop at that time. They kind of persist for a long time, and we have those questions still today. But they emerge during this time. And in Jewish culture, there is an event when someone turns 13 called a bar mitzvah, for son of the covenant, or a bat mitzvah, for daughter of the covenant. And this symbolizes a person going from childhood to adulthood, forming their identity to come. And so during this time, Jesus is 12 years old, and he is making a really powerful identity statement in this passage. And he says, I am here with my heavenly father. I, I'm doing the things of my heavenly father here in verse 49. And Mary comes to him and he says, your father and I are worried sick. Well, of course, they lost him for three days. I think that's a natural motherly response after losing your child, especially if it's the son of God. I think there's some added pressure if you have the Emmanuel and you lose him. Uh, so after three days, she finds him and she says, your father, Joseph, your, your earthly father and I, we are worried sick. And Jesus responds and says, I am doing the things of my father turns it around, my heavenly father. He is saying that there is an identity shift happening. I'm doing the things of my heavenly father. And he's being careful to make a distinction that when we accept that identity, any identity, we're leaving another one behind. This is, this is the process of, of adulthood. That's why the bar mitzvah and the bat mitzvah exist. There's an identity growing, and that requires us to leave another one behind. And that's challenging, and that's a lot of change. Uh, and it especially affects the people around us as well. But when we're changing our identity, there are two things that happen. There's the proclamation, and then there's the follow-through. And Jesus shows us this today. The first thing he does is says, I'm here with my Father. That's the proclamation. He is my Heavenly Father. This is my, my new identity now. But he says, 
did you not know it is necessary for me to be in the things of my Father? It is necessary. Your, your verses uh, 49 might sound a little different. Translations might say something like, it is necessary for me to be in my Father's house, or something like, I gotta be about my Father's business. Those are all good translations. Uh, word for word, in my opinion, would be, did you not know it was necessary for me to be in the things of my Father? In the things of my Father, to doing the work my new identity commands. That's the follow-through. Step one, the proclamation. Step through two is the follow-through. And this Greek word, which is, it is necessary, has its roots in another word, which means to bind or to compel, like binding somebody with ropes or to a contract or to compel someone to do something. So Jesus is saying that this new identity binds us to a way of behavior, a way of life, a way of action. There is something to do because of who we are. And if we don't pair these two together, the proclamation and the follow-through, then we're hypocrites. Because if you say you're someone and you're not following through with it, you're, you're not following through. You're, you're a hypocrite. You're dishonest. That's, that's not being consistent. It's not being reliable. And this produces a factor of being what later we will call lukewarm, right? No matter what identity is, whether it's your identity as a child of God or not, if you are not following through with what you say you are, it doesn't match up. For example, uh, if Pastor Matt were to come here one Sunday, decked out with a Harley Davidson jacket, helmet, boots, whatever you can imagine, maybe a neck tattoo. He comes here and he says, all right, guys, I'm a biker now. We'd be like, cool, all right, um, where's your bike? He says, I haven't gotten it yet, but I'm a biker now. <laughs> well, is he really a bike? No, he hasn't followed through on that identity. Likewise, if you tell me you're a Pennsylvanian, and I see you driving down Washington Boulevard, down the pothole gauntlet, and you're not doing one of these numbers, I know you're not Pennsylvanian because pothole evasion is an art for us. So you are not actually following through with your identity unless you're doing one of those numbers. And so there's this difference between our desire to live out an identity and just proclaim it. We love labels, our culture. We like to say what we are. We like to show what we are. But do we like to do what we are? We're bound to action. We're bound to a lifestyle because of our identity. And this is a hard thing, but this is a really good thing. And so it's easy for me to be up here and saying, uh, if you have this identity as a child of God, your life will be great. It'll be really easy. God loves you. He'll provide everything for you. But you know that's just not true. You know that's not how it works. Because a life for God, a life as a child of God, changes every single thing in your life. It changes how you spend your time, like on Sunday mornings. It changes how you spend your money, what you do on you know, any given holiday. It changes your holiday schedule. It changes how you react to friends. It changes how you react to your enemies. It changes how you pray. It changes everything about us. But I want to tell you that every single thing that we change, it might not bring an easy life, but it produces good truth and beauty, because that is what Christ is, goodness, truth, and beauty. There's a good life to be had when we allow these hard changes to occur. And that's why we have community around us, because our identity change isn't just about us. Our identities affect everyone around us. Mary and Joseph missed Jesus for three days, and that, that hurt them. That hurt them, and Jesus left his past identity for his future identity. There's a system of relationships built in our nature. That's how God designed life, where marriages, where families, where communities, whatever it might be, 
we're in a system of relationships. And so if we choose an identity that is characterized by hatred or hurt or discrimination or fear, those realities are going to be introduced into the relationships around us. It's the way it works. But if we choose an identity in God, as a child of God, the realities of that identity will be introduced into the relationships around us. Our identities have the power to change lives. Our identities have the power to change the world if we follow through, if we know why we do what we do, and, and if we actually know what we're doing. And so we come here, and oftentimes I'll, I'll go through the Sunday morning, and I'll feel like it's just a, one of those meaningless rituals. It's a Sunday morning ritual, and it, it's kind of hollow. But as I dig into questions, as I wonder, why am I doing this? What am I doing? then I'm able to provide meaning, to furnish these spiritual habits with meaning instead of just empty religious rituals. And so all of these are going to bring us to a fundamental question as we figure out what does it mean to live in identity as a child of God. And this question is, what am I bound to because of my identity? How do I uncover my own hypocrisy? Because it's often not intentional. Hypocrisy is often, we just don't know what it means to live this life. So what am I bound to? What is it necessary for me to do because of who I want to be? And I think that this is a very simple question, very potentially easy to answer, but I think it also has the power to change the world. And I want to ask you to imagine with me some of these answers. And Imagine that every single person were asking themselves this, what am I going to do about my identity? How am I going to live out this identity? What would that look like? And imagine if every single person answered, because I am a child of God, it is necessary for me to stand up against all injustice, for example, to give generously to those in need, or to love unconditionally, maybe to take holy rest, that's a hard one for a lot of us, to let God take my stress, that's huge for me. Uh, I'm a stressor. I like to control things. I like to make sure that God can be with, you, with me if he wants, but he can't really, you know, do what he wants in my life. That's my job. And so I stress about it. But going through this sermon made me realize, if I'm going to stress about this, I can't claim to be a child of God. Because why would I believe in a God who wouldn't take care of his children? I, I wouldn't. I'm not going to be the child of a God who doesn't take care of his children. That's not our God. That's not who he is. There is no faith in the heart of stress. So what it would it be like if I recognize that it is necessary to let God take my stress, or to, to be still and to know that he is God, or to be free from fears and doubts? What if I were to recognize that I am made for a purpose, not in the generic sense, but in the God sense? I am made for a purpose. It is necessary for me to live with abandon, Maybe it's necessary to let Christ into every dark corner of my heart and even the ones that I don't let myself into and allow restoration, to allow those hard changes. What if I knew it was necessary to know that Christ died for me, for me, but more than that, he was raised for me. And that's what we need to remember. He didn't just die for us. He vacated the grave for us so that we could be children of God. And what if every one of us answered that is absolutely necessary for all of us to proclaim the good news of God's unyielding grace for me and for you until every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that we serve a good, good Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What if we answered like that? What if we knew that Satan didn't have control in our hearts anymore? 
It's a huge lie. We think Satan's won. We allow Satan to win by thinking Satan's won. But the reality is that battle was won by Christ the moment he said to his mother, I am a child of God. It is necessary for me to do the works of my father. Battle was over. Because Jesus, in that moment, said, it is necessary for me to die and to be raised again for the world, for the life of the world. And that is the power of the journey. We're going through this series, understanding what it means to journey with Christ. That is the power we have in journeying with him. We get to transform our identity, bring that transformation to the relationships around us, and by following through, not just with the rituals on the Sunday morning, but with the joy and the goodness and the truth that is in Christ. That is how lives are changed. That's how worlds are changed. So I want us to ask ourselves, why am I here this Sunday morning? Why do I come to church? Is it because my friend dragged me? Is it because I think I'm supposed to go? It's because my grandma made me. Like, what is it that brought you here? Is it because it is necessary for your identity as a child of God? Another question that I'm sure you're still thinking about, at least I am, is why do we call it shampoo? That bothered me for days, and so I Googled it eventually. Shampoo, like it just didn't make sense to me. And so I Googled it, and it said the word shampoo comes from India during the colonial era. It dates back to 1762, and it is from the Hindi shampoo, which is itself derived from the Sanskrit root shapayatri, which means to press or to knead or to soothe. And so it really has nothing to do with anything I thought it was about, you know, shams or... And this is what happens when we question, right? So we ask questions, we Google things, we talk to our pastors, and we ask questions and we understand uh, some realities about our identity. In a few moments here, we're going to turn our uh, attention to the screens, and we're going to see a video of Adeline who, in her journey with Christ through CYF, our Confirm Your Faith program, she asserted her identity as a child of God, and she's got a powerful story to tell. But I'm going to close this out in a word of prayer, and then we'll direct our attentions to the screen. God, we thank you so much for this day, for the the graciousness and the opportunity to live in community, to live into our identity as a free child of God. Lord, we thank you for Adeline, for her spirit and for her presence here, for her desire to seek her identity and herself in you. Lord, we thank you for this church as we support one another in this journey of Christ. Give us the wisdom and the courage to pursue who we really are in you. Amen. My name is Adeline Bauer, and I've been connected with First Church since, um, since I was little. I got baptized as a baby, so. I've been here pretty much my whole life. I didn't really know what it was at first. I knew it had something to do with like God and believing in Him, but I never really took it seriously enough to actually like think about what it actually was. When you started the process of CYF, how would you describe your faith and your relationship with Jesus then? Um, when I started it, I believed in Him, yeah, but I don't think it was like, it was strong, but it wasn't super strong. I wanted to take it in seventh grade. I don't really know why I wanted to do it. It just, it seemed cool to do. And then once I like actually got to do it, I'm like, this is really fun. I enjoy, I enjoyed the process. And we did a whole bunch of different activities and 
just going through the process with my mentor was really fun and I had a lot of like I had a lot of new experiences that I don't think I would have had if I didn't take if I didn't do CYF. So I chose Sue Johnson and I chose her because I know that I can count on her for just being there. She just felt like the one to be my mentor. When Jesus died on the cross, I know that he's done that to pay for my sins. And I know that God has told, God told Jesus to do that for me and for everyone else. He's just telling me that I need to, I need, I need to like believe in him and know that he's always going to be there.